0: A conservative Italian journalist has revealed that the late Australian Cardinal George Pell was the author of a searing critique of Pope Francis. Writing under a pseudonym, Pell claimed the papacy was a disaster and a catastrophe. He said a split in the church was coming, he called one of the Pope's allies a heretic, and even claimed the Vatican was running a phone-tapping operation. But what's motivated these claims? Dr. Austin Ivory is a fellow at Campion Hall at Oxford University and author of two landmark biographies of Francis, The Great Reformer and The Wounded Shepherd.
1: It was a long, kind of fairly rambling, very wide-ranging memo which came out last year under the pseudonym Demos and it was really divided into two parts. One was called The Vatican today, the second part was called The Next Conclave And the first part was really a whole series of complaints about the way things are being run in the Vatican and particularly finances, which was, was, of course, Pell's great speciality, but also you know, lack of respect for the law. It was a sort of fairly devastating critique about the Vatican. And then the next conclave was an attempt to spell out a vision for the papacy. So Pell was clearly positioning himself. He believed that the end of the Francis pontificate would be coming soon. And he was spelling out what, in his view, the next pope needs to do, which, of course, was almost in every respect the opposite of what Francis has been doing. So it was all about kind of preaching with clarity, dealing with the confusion, asserting traditional morality, if you like, the agenda of the kind of the moralists among the cardinals and in the church who believe that the church needs to be convincing, compelling and clear in everything it says. And it's about we've got the truth and we need to preach it clearly. In other words, trying to reverse what they see as Francis is sort of Lack of clarity or muddying of the waters in his attempt to have a more dialogical relationship with the world.
0: Pope Francis made it very clear uh, that he believed in George Pell's innocence when George Pell was facing those charges. The Vatican said that George Pell was entitled to pursue all the legal avenues he could to gain his acquittal. So, why such a personal critique?
1: Well, Francis has always been incredibly supportive of Pell from, of course, from the moment when he supported him, uh, when he appointed him as the chief reformer of the Vatican finances. And then, as you say, when Pell was accused, Francis really stood by him, said he had to go back and face the music of civil justice, but believed in his innocence and so on. And so Francis has always been very supportive of Pell. And actually, Pell personally, whenever I spoke to Pell, about Francis. Pell gave Francis a lot of credit for the reform on the finances. But you see, we're dealing here with essentially a a political religious agenda. And what Pell represented in terms of his vision of The church and his vision of what the pope is and papacy and so on was so starkly different from Francis. And Pell saw himself, he had become convinced that he was the man entrusted with the task of rescuing the church, you know, and as it were, having a more kind of John Paul II type of papacy. So, my view of this is that Pell, and he did it, by the way, anonymously, I think, partly as a way of increasing excitement over this, but he was convinced, I think, that the end of the pontificate was coming and he saw himself, if not as the next. Pope as the kingmaker for the conservative view of the church within the forthcoming conclave. So it was, if you like, a political move and a very political manifesto.
0: Can I ask you, Austin, uh, because not only are you the author of the landmark book, The Great Reformer, about uh, Pope Francis, you wrote a book with Pope Francis. We spoke to you about it a couple of years ago, Let Us Dream. You know this pope very well. Is this pontificate about to end?
1: No. And I think this is where Pell has badly misjudged things. And I think Pell, as a a political operator, Frankly, has always been very clumsy. I always remember back in the 2015 synod, he got together in a letter again, you know, with sort of lots of signatories and so on and leaked it to the press. He did this kind of thing. He was a machine politician. And I think what happened almost inevitably whenever Pell did these things was it produced a very, very strong reaction in the church and among his fellow cardinals that this is an unecclesial, this is not the way you go about things in the church. If you have a problem and you're a cardinal, you can go and speak to the Pope anytime, or if you want to lay out your Views, you know, in an article or an interview, you're free to do that, but you do it in a way that's propositional, that's positive, and so on. Hell's Aggression towards Francis, towards his pontificate, I think has really tarnished his legacy. I mean, it left a very, very bad feeling. Not only the revelation that he was the author of this anonymous memo, but he would also penned an article which was published immediately after his death with a, a critique of the current synod, which is this global consultation of the Catholic faithful, one of the most important things that's happening in this pontificate. And he, you know, he blasted it as sort of you neo know, Marxist and New Age and so on in a way that really revealed his profound ignorance of the whole thing. I think it reflect badly on him.
0: If you think of the big moral issues, this Pope is pro-life from conception to natural death. He believes that children should have natural parents. He believes in the biological definitions of a man and a woman. He certainly altered the tone, but not the teaching, on sexuality. So what is the complaint about from the Conservatives?
1: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is a key question. So often when the church is reported on, it's reported on as a battle between sort of progressives and conservatives, as if there are profound disagreements about doctrine and about ideas. Actually, Catholic teaching, more or less, people agree on, and, and Francis is a traditional Catholic in every respect. What really, really annoys, I think, a certain conservative about Francis' pontificate is that he is putting the proclamation of God's love and mercy first. So that the first thing people should hear and feel and see in the church is that mercy and that love, that unconditional embrace and that acceptance. Because Francis and many of those who think like him say actually the church can no longer use this kind of moralistic, you know, we have the truth uh, and moral discipline type of attitude in an age above all when the church, of course, lacks so much credibility on that score because of its own scandals. So this is about how you evangelize. And Francis is convinced that when people see that when people see the way that you know christians care for the environment care for migrants treat each other the love and respect that that makes the gospel deeply attractive they start to ask well what's going on in the gospel and then you allow and you give people space to change whereas i think for pell and for so many of the conservatives around him who i think are a minority but very vociferous you know they hearken back to an age uh, when the church was uh, the moral policeman, the source of truth, you know, the teacher. And so I think it's about that. I think it's about the model of church and the way the church engages in the world. This is the heart of the difference between what I would call the pastoral approach of Francis and the moralistic approach of Pell and others who think like him.
0: There was a fascinating detail, or let us say a fascinating allegation, in this critique of which George Pell was the anonymous author, and that is, he does say that phone tapping, telephone tapping, is widespread in the Vatican. You know the Vatican very well. Does that seem likely, phone tapping?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, all sort of stuff has been going on. This is all long predates Francis in terms of, you know, what goes on in the Vatican and some of the sort of shenanigans and the financial scandals. And there has been a big attempt to clean all that up, which has in turn led to accusations of people of supervision and vigilance, which is inappropriate. So yes, phone tapping, if you like. So I think Pell is throwing out stuff there, which is, which is fairly well known, but he's doing it in a totally scattered uh, way. And I think part of Pell's resentment also about the finances was that you know, he had to go back to Australia to face these charges. And the financial reform by then, frankly, had stalled. It was not going well because Pell had put everybody's backs up in Rome. He was a good man to initiate the process, you know, an Anglo-Saxon scourer, if you like, to bring in at the beginning. But actually, to carry that reform through needed a much more comprehensive, if you like, diplomatic approach. So I think when he came back to Rome, feeling vindicated after his release from prison, and of course, surrounded by people who said to him, you know, you're a martyr, I think it went to his head, frankly. And I think he failed to uh, I think he failed actually to embrace the, the possibility of prison, which was to, you know, as it were, do a little bit of work on himself inside. So I think the arrogance was there in an even greater way when he came out of prison. And that's why, looking back on Pell, I liked him, by the way, and he was always very good to me, and he, you know, he's a nice man in so many ways. But I feel a bit of sadness. I think there was an opportunity there for Pell in his last years to have been really a great help to the church. And I think actually what he did was stir up unnecessary antagonism
0: Even though, as we have emphasised, Pope Francis has not changed any doctrine, is he too accommodating of difference, as his critics would charge? Because the Pell critique says that some pontifical academies have invited speakers who are pro-abortion. I don't know that they've been invited to speak about abortion, but among their many views, they're pro-abortion.
1: Well, this is the problem, isn't it? That there's a certain purist view that anybody who's invited by the Vatican must completely assent to Catholic doctrine on everything. Well, you know, if that were the case, you would never have dialogue with people who have important things to say to the church as well as with the church. So bridge building and dialogue involves necessarily inviting people who may not agree on everything with you. That's Isn't that the point of dialogue? And of course, the critique of Pell and other conservatives is you might get a woman like you know Marina Mazzucato, a great economist, being invited to be uh, an advisor to one of the organizations in Rome, who, yes, uh, no doubt, like many people, believes that abortion should be legal, but has a amazing, really wonderful critique of contemporary capitalism, which is very much up the streets of the of the church, conservatives say, "Why is she allowed?" But they don't have any problem, for example, with inviting pro life people who may be climate change deniers, which is equally incompatible with church teaching. So this reveals a, a particular agenda and a particular concern. But again, the church has, or the Vatican has always invited people, not just to advise it, but also to, as dialogue partners who don't agree with it and everything, and that's important.
0: Just as we wind up, Austin, back in 2018, I think it was, 2017, 2018, there was a political hit job on Francis. Uh, I think a very controversial pro-Donald Trump Archbishop, Archbishop Viganò, was at the centre. Uh, he used a scandal involving the now defrocked Cardinal Theodore McCarrick. He was defrocked for sexual misbehaviour. He used that as a sort of foil against the Pope. It was an attempt to unseat the Pope. He called explicitly for the Pope to resign. Are we seeing a rerun of that? Different characters, but the same objective to get this Pope to quit?
1: Oh, I think unquestionably. I mean, there's a lot of knife sharpening going on in advance of the expectation of a conclave, whenever that may happen, either because Francis would die or because he would stand down because of ill health. And I think what happened last year was that when Francis was suffering quite badly physically. I think a lot of people sort of said, okay, you know, it's going to happen soon, hence the Pell memo. And now we're getting various books and so on coming out about now. And yes, there's a concerted move to have a very different kind of Pope in the future. <laughs> Lots of them end badly. I mean, Vigano ended up believing all these anti-vax theories and, and MAGA Trump stuff and ultimately became a figure of fun. And I think actually a lot of these critics who they blast out, but then where does it go? And I think we're going to see that over the next year. We're going to see a lot of people laying out another vision of the church to replace Pope Francis's, but I don't think it will come to anything. I think everybody will have their say, and then it will peter out, because I think what Francis is doing is right there in the mainstream of the church. Where the church needs to be is what Francis is seeking to bring about through Methods particularly through the Synod that are patient, that are dialogical, that are open to the spirit, that are prayerful that try and avoid, if you like, these kind of polarizing polemics. And I think in the long term, that's what will win
0: out. Dr. Austin Ivory, he is a senior fellow at Campion Hall at Oxford University. He's the author of the landmark book about Pope Francis, the Great Reformer. His most recent book written with Pope Francis is Let Us Dream. Thank you very much for coming back to the program, Austin. Great
1: to be with you, Andrew. Thank you.